Hey, Moms That Lead. We're going to do something extra special today that we haven't done yet. You see, as I've been having these wonderful conversations with so many wonderful women recently, I keep finding myself thinking back to one of my favorite episodes that we did, episode 40 with Amy Henderson. It was done way back in March, and so many of you may have not heard it, but it relates so much to what we've been talking about, especially around the importance of a woman's support network and the ability to be fulfilled and to develop as both a leader and a mom. This conversation with Amy Henderson was fascinating, and I hope you enjoy it as much as I enjoyed having it. You will hear us talk about Amy's book, Tending, and I wanted to let you know that since it has been a little while since we last spoke, that book, of course, is now available wherever you can get books. So make sure you go out and get that. She shares a fascinating story and her research, which you'll hear more about in today's episode. Enjoy. Today's interview is one that I'd love to play from the rooftops. You see, I've always had a hunch, based on my personal experience and that of those around me, that being a mom naturally made you a better leader. But I had no idea there was neuroscience to back it up. My guest today, Amy Henderson, has not only highlighted how and why engaged parenting makes you a better leader, but she has started a movement to make sure the role of nurturer is one that's valued and supported in our workplaces and in greater society. Our conversation left me encouraged, fascinated, and eager to learn more. I hope that it will do the same for you. A little bit about Amy. Amy is one of the nation's leading voices on the critical role of parenting and caregiving in developing the future of work. She has three kids, and she's the founding CEO of TenLab, where she has been working with companies and their parents' groups at places like Salesforce, Accenture, Cloudfare, Airbnb, Lululemon, and many others to optimize the workplace for parents. Amy is a regular speaker and author advocating on behalf of the power of parenthood at work. She's been featured in and written for The Wall Street Journal, Forbes, Fortune, Fast Company, Slate, InStyle, and more. And not only that, she has a new book coming out this April called Tending, Parenthood and the Future of Work. So you can see why I'd love to play our conversation from the rooftops if I could. But before we jump into it, In case you're new here, let me introduce myself and the Moms That Lead movement. Hey, are you ready to jump off the hamster wheel and finally listen to that voice inside that says you were meant for more? Are you ready to replace overwhelm with calm and clarity, self-doubt with confidence, and mom guilt with connection? Then you're in the right place. Welcome to the Moms That Lead podcast, where we know that moms have a unique ability to be world changers and that leadership is not about position. But instead, if your actions inspire others to dream more, learn more, do more, and become more, then you are a leader. I'm Terry Schmidt, your host and leadership mentor, determined to bring you the inspiration, motivation, and practical tips to help you live your best life. I'm a corporate leader and coach turned nonprofit founder. My family's journey to completing an Ironman triathlon changed my life forever. 
and I want to be your friend on the journey to gain the clarity, confidence, and connection that I gained from that experience. So if you're ready to ditch mom guilt and activate your strengths, let's jump in. Amy, welcome to the Moms That Lead podcast. We are thrilled to have you here, particularly this week and this month, it being the week of International Women's Day and Women's History Month. I know you have done a lot of work with women and caregivers in general. I gave our audience a little bit of an intro to you, but I would love to hear from your perspective just a little bit about who you are and your journey to where you are today. When you've had an unconventional path in life, like I have, you can look back and you can describe yourself several different ways. But what seems to be a consistent through line in the work that I've done is that I'm a movement builder. Mm. I see change that needs to happen and I bring people together to drive it forward. And I had started an organization I co-founded with Van Jones and the Rockstar Prince called Yes We Code, which was around increasing racial diversity in the tech sector when I accidentally got pregnant with my third kid and I had mm. three under the age of four. And when she was born, you know, my, my, I felt like the wheels fell off the bus. It was like mm. I had been barely holding it on with the two kids. And then the third forced me to acknowledge that I wasn't the mom I wanted to be and I wasn't showing up at work the way I wanted to either. And so I because I'm fortunate enough to be in the 14% of Americans who have access to paid family leave. While I was out on leave, I started calling at first the moms that I most admired to say, and, and eventually also I included the dads, uh, and I'm happy to talk about why I did and why I didn't want to at first, but I started calling at first the working moms I most admired to say, look, is it, is it just me and my unique shortcomings that, and the bad decisions I've made that make it so hard to be a working parent? Or mm -hmm. is it just that hard to be a working parent in this country? And I discovered that it's just that hard to be a working parent in this country. But like me, everybody else that I spoke with, almost every single person I spoke with felt like it was their fault uh, and that they were regularly failing either at work or at home because of their unique challenges, shortcomings, and bad decisions. And what I realized is that a lot of the women in particular, but also the men, weren't willing to talk about it publicly, how hard it was, and certainly not in their careers. And the more accomplished the people became as I interviewed them, because I started first with working moms and dads I admired, and then I asked those admired parents to nominate or recommend other parents they admired. And so I ended up in the C-suite at some Fortune 500 companies <laughs> with really accomplished leaders. And the more accomplished they were, the more they felt as though to downplay their role as a mom, dads could talk about being a dad, but they couldn't appear to have any caregiving responsibilities. Interesting. They had to downplay any caregiving responsibilities that they had because otherwise it would undermine their professional credibility. <laughs> and they certainly didn't talk about how hard it was. That would just, and in fact, one woman I interviewed who had spent most of her career in the C-suite at the Fortune 500 companies, she said she felt like it was the greatest hoax out there, that nobody hmm. warned her and that she didn't warn anybody else because she didn't know how to do it in a way that wouldn't make her seem like she lacked what was necessary to be a success. Hmm. But, but because I called everybody up and I was very raw and vulnerable, which is I came to discover a gift. It was very raw. I had a 
newborn on my arm. I had two kids who were constantly interrupting my calls, just like we all are now during COVID. And I was very raw and vulnerable. And I said, look, I'm really trying to understand, like, is it, is it me, you know? Mm -hmm. And so because I was so raw, people were also very vulnerable with me. I promised confidentiality to every single person I spoke with. And once we had that moment of acknowledgement that it was really hard and realness about it, like what you had to be very real about it, it created the space for us to also recognize that parenthood possibly more than anything else was forging us in critical ways that we were evolving in ways that were painful and hard and that we would avoid if we could, <laughs> but we were becoming better. <laughs> and, and that the way we had grown really mattered. We were proud of who we had become. Mm -hmm. So I kept going. I did ended up doing 237 interviews. And then because I knew that I would have to do, you know, millions and thousands of interviews to make anything statistically significant, mm -hmm. I then looked to research from other disciplines and I have a, a little bit of a background in neuroscience. So I looked a little bit into, you know, what happens neurologically with parenthood. I looked into, you know, evolutionary biology, what the, the history of our species and how we've evolved, the way we've parented, how it's impacted us. I looked into a bunch of different disciplines to help me understand, like, what are, what are some, some, what's some hard science that I can use to help me understand what could be considered a soft nebulous insight that was occurring. And I found some really compelling research. And one of the things I found is that there's a researcher, uh, a neuroscientist, Dr. Ruth Feldman, who teaches at the Yale School of Medicine. And she's found in her research and in the reviews of all the other literature, that the greatest potential for plasticity in the adult human brain is in the year surrounding the birth of one's child. And that mm. that's for both moms and engaged dads, which is crazy because we don't talk about that in our country at all. And, and then, and that what happens during that year is, is critical. So if a parent gets the support that they need, then they're likely to unlock these very, very useful skills and capacities. And if they don't get the support that they need, that their capacities are likely to degrade. And another researcher, Dr. Darby Saxby at USC She's been doing some really great work around how that window when a person becomes a parent is this critical window that impacts the trajectory of the rest of their life and leads to long-term both physical and mental health, either positive or negative, depending on what happens in that critical window. Hmm. It's pretty, you know, and I know that this is something you carry about, Terry. It can have really significant impacts on obesity you know, parents who previously had no challenges with that, that window of becoming a parent can lead a person on a trajectory to have a lifetime occurrence of obesity and other, you know, and other serious health consequences, which I can go into yeah. if you want to. I like to nerd out on all that stuff. Um, <laughs> so. <laughs> I have so many questions. I'd love to nerd out on it too. Yeah. What, what is it about? I mean, I know you mentioned the plasticity, but you know, when you're talking about that being a shaping time for the rest of your life, is it just the plasticity or what is it about that time that makes it so impactful to your mental and physical health for the rest of your life? Yeah. You know, some of the theories behind that from the, from the scientists, not my own, <laughs> but some of, the, some of the theories, like one of the other people that I interviewed who some people consider to be the greatest scientific authority on motherhood, her name is um, Dr. Sarah Bleifer Hurdy. I, I could spend a long time talking about her. She mm -hmm. is one of my, I would say, guiding lights in this work. She actually read the entire first 
manuscript that I wrote of my book and gave me incredible feedback and is mm. heavily featured in it. But when it comes to this question around like, why do we change so much during the years surrounding the birth of our child? What she and other scientists would say is that when survival is at stake, that's when adaptations occur. And then up until a couple hundred years ago, every third woman died in childbirth. Hmm. Meant that every human had to have within them the capacity to unlock the skills that were necessary to mm -hmm. tend to the newborn. Okay. That every person, so regardless of their gender, there, there had to be what she would say, a latent neural network. So sort mm -hmm. of like a hidden neural network that wasn't going to be activated unless it was needed, that, that we over time have evolved to all have that within us. And that for some, if you're a primary care breastfeeding birth mother, you're going to, you're hormonally going to be primed to unlock the skills that are critical for tending to your child. Mm -hmm. But if you aren't the primary care breastfeeding birth mother, then your capacity to unlock those skills is going to require you to really show up for the job mm -hmm. and not just sort of holding a baby when they're happy and then passing them off when they're crying, but, you know, being with the child and primarily responsible for the child over a considerable period of time. So I like to think of it as you're the, you're the dad or the non-birth parent who is with the infant and, and you are alone with the infant and the infant is crying and you have to figure out why are they crying? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. <laughs> are they hungry? Are they thirsty? Are they tired? And that dad or that non-birth parent is likely going to have to really struggle at first. They're not going to know. They're not going to hear the baby cry and immediately have milk let down if it's time for the mm -hmm. baby like a mom will, right? But over time, if they continue to have to figure it out, that these the, the regions of the brain that automatically get activated in a primary care breastfeeding birth mother will start to turn on. And in a pr primary caretaking dad, Dr. Feldman has found in her lab that even if it's not his biological child, if, if you are the primary caretaker for the child, a man can have what she called the neurological parental network activated to its full volume, that he oh can experience gosh. the same degree of brain transformation as a primary care breastfeeding birth mother, hmm. which is amazing, right? <laughs> that is amazing. Now, is it possible for then both to experience that? So if you have, you know, an engaged mother and an engaged father, can they both experience that and those changes? Yeah. So, you know, in Dr. Feldman's lab, what she has studied is, you know, exclusively primary caretaking dads in the absence of a mother okay. and then also primary caretaking moms. But and, and in those situations, they've found that, you know, that's when the, like the full activation occurs. But, but she's also found that for all dads, time spent engaged in responsible caretaking behavior leads to increased connections between the regions of the brain that dads normally activate, which are the, the later from an evolutionary standpoint, developing cortical structures, sort of like okay. you're, you're sort of, you think of the, the gray matter mm -hmm. <laughs> to the sort of core and central mammalian brain that we share with all other mammals, the amygdala. The amygdala is what gets activated in, mm. in, in moms and the amygdala is what can get activated in primary caretaking dads. And so what they found is that in all, in all dads, time spent engaged in responsible caretaking behavior, the amount of time spent leads to increased connection between these two regions. So okay. it's possible for everyone to begin to activate it, but to mm -hmm. activate as much as a birth mother, if there's two parents, I don't know. Okay. That, 
That being said, one of my friends is a woman named Kate Torgerson, and she founded a company called Milk Stork, which is the first breast milk shipping company. Mm. And I interviewed both her and her husband because this they had twins. And because of some complications around feeding, they ended up each being primary for one of their twins. <laughs> and Interesting. So she was primary for her daughter, and he was primary for the son. And in my interviews with both of them, you know, it, it would lead me to the conclusion that he experienced the same degree of transformation that she did hmm. um, because they had two. <laughs> right, right. And he was primarily responsible for that one. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That makes sense. As long as we're talking about dads, I kind of want to circle back to what you alluded to before. You mentioned you were calling moms and all of a sudden you, you know, decided to involve dads and were a little bit hesitant to do so. Can you speak a little bit more to that? Yeah, for sure. For sure. I think it's an important sort of inflection point in my journey. Yeah. When I first started interviewing, I thought only moms would ever get it right. We Mm -hmm. were the ones that were like in the grocery store leaking milk. (laughs) We were the ones that couldn't go in the bouncy houses because we had babies and we would pee on ourselves. You know, it's a very (laughs) unique experience. And also because, you know, there's a lot of research out there around, like there was a, a study done at Stanford that Something like when a, when a mother walks into the room, the kid is like 900% more likely to melt down than when it's anyone else. It's like, hmm. you know, that they, that we are the safe place from which they came into the world. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's a very unique experience that I didn't think a man could ever understand. And so I discovered this research of Dr. Feldman that it was possible for a dad to activate their brain as much as a mom. And I still was sort of skeptical. I was like, I don't mm-hmm. know, you know, uh, maybe somewhere else. I don't know. And at the same time, one of the other women that I interviewed, her name is Shelly Archambo, and she was the CEO for an 1,000 person tech company, an African American woman, a mother of two, and the daughter of a dad without a college education. And she had this incredible success in her career. And so when I was interviewing her, she told me about how a large part of the reason that she was able to be so successful was because her husband became a stay-at-home dad and that she, when they started dating at 19, said, look, I'm going to be really successful in my career. So you better know that at some point when we have a family, you're going to be the, you're going to stay home with the kids. (laughs) And her her 19 year old boyfriend at the time was like, okay. (laughs) (laughs) And, and she, she talked about how it was hard for her to let him be primary, how, Mm -hmm. you know, it would be school picture day and her husband would do the hair in a way that she knew was not going to stick and was going to look awful in the pictures. And she'd want to step in and fix it. But she talked about how that would disempower him and that she really had to let it be his domain. And so when I came home after that interview with her and after learning about the research Dr. Feldman had done, I asked my husband, I said, you know, do I block you from, you know, being an active caretaker for our kids? And he looked at me and he said, you didn't even let me hold our firstborn until she was six months old. And I was like, yeah, that's kind of true. <laughs> I just assumed that he couldn't do it, right? Mm-hmm. Like the first couple of weeks when I realized my capacity was so much greater than his, especially breastfeeding, you know, mm-hmm. uh, I just assumed he, you know, and then every time I would try to give it to him and, you know, I'd be hovering over while I, you know, I would sort of be sure. waiting to fail, right? Uh-huh. And so, <laughs> um, so what we did with my third after this conversation with Shelly Archimbo, mm-hmm. after discovering Dr. Feldman's research was, you know, I said, look, why don't you see about getting up with our third, her name is Grace. Why don't you see about getting up with Gracie at night? 
And he said, sure, I'd love to. And with our two previous kids, whenever one of them would start to even wake up, I would bolt upright out of bed. Mm-hmm. And he would snore happily through the end of the world coming. Sure, sure. <laughs> <laughs> and um, so with our third, I started waking my husband up when she, when I could hear her rustling and mm-hmm. what I thought she was going to start crying. And he would happily get up and go take care of her. And we found that when he went to her, she um, soothed back to sleep faster and she stayed asleep longer. How interesting. And then after about three months of this, of me waking him up multiple times a night, we were in the kitchen one morning and he said, hey, how come you didn't wake me up last night? And I said, what do you mean? And he said, well, she woke up and I went to her and you didn't wake me up. And I had slept through our infant sleeping and he had woken up. And I was like, all right. And that's what I started in interviewing dads. Cause I was like, if this can happen in yeah. my household where I didn't think it would ever be possible, mm-hmm. there must be something to this. That is, that is fascinating that you can, you know, not only see the research and then talk to people who have experienced it, but then also see it in your own life play out like that. That's, I think when we really believe something. It's so true. It's so true. And, 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 you know, just as an extension of that, it was not long after that, that I was at the library with Grace and she was about a year old and we were reading this book and the book was about mommies and babies. And it was all these little mommy, you know, little baby animals with mommy animals. And she looked at the cover of the book, which was like a big bear with a baby bear. And she said, daddy. (laughs) (laughs) And it was a mommy and a baby, but she said, daddy. Uh And my previous, the first two kids would have never done that. Right. Uh, and I think the bond that the, you know, that, that Grace has with her dad is much stronger because mm-hmm. of the early stage. And that's what research would indicate too. Right. I had a similar experience because when my kids were young, I was traveling a lot for work. So they got a lot of alone time with their dad. And because of that, I think have very strong bonds with him because he had to be the primary caretaker in many weeks out of the year. I know, Amy, you said a while back in an article that you wrote that, you know, we were entering an era where parenthood is the ultimate leadership and development training program. I'd love to hear a little bit more about your thoughts on that. Yeah, this is my favorite subject. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I mentioned that I had done these, uh, all these interviews, and I, I, I did work with a data scientist to code the interviews to see what themes were emerging. And I looked to research from all these other disciplines. W- what I found to be most compelling is the neuroscience research. And I was towards the end of the interviews when I went and sat down for lunch with a woman named Janet Van Hyes, who at the time had been the original VP of HR and was the VP of diversity and inclusion at Twitter. Mm. And she had, you know, been there for many years, had done a great job of creating a workplace that meaningfully supported parents. So when I sat down with Janet and told her about all that I'd learned through the interviews, through coding the interviews, so looking into research from other disciplines to help me understand what I was hearing in the interviews. And what I discovered is that parenthood unlocks five main capacities. Mm. That's what I would say based on coding the interviews and looking into all these other disciplines. The first one would be emotional intelligence. Mm-hmm. Like one dad said to me, when you have to figure out what a nonverbal infant needs and wants, it forces you to become really skillful at listening for nonverbal clues. You know, mm-hmm. like about how he could always tell that when his newborn was pulling on her ear, that she was tired and that if he missed that window, like if she's pulling on her ear and he didn't put her down for her nap, then it was mm-hmm. all over. 
and he would have to deal with a screaming infant who would miss the window for the nap for like four hours. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he was like, I learned to get really good at reading those nonverbal clues because it was the only way that, you know, his life could feel somewhat sane and under control. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And he would have to live with the consequences if he didn't. So that, so the first one is emotional intelligence. The second one is courage. And there's some really compelling research around in mice, which have similar sort of brain structures to humans, mm-hmm. where they found that mice who are responsible for raising one litter, regardless of whether they actually birth the litter, that they have a significantly greater degree of courage. Hmm. And that the regions of their brain associated with fear actually have less neurological activity. Interesting. How do yeah. they test a mouse's courage? Yeah. Hmm. One of the studies was around if there were cats around. Uh-huh. A mouse would not be courageous in going to seek food in the presence of that cat unless they were responsible for raising them. And if that was the case, then they would be willing to try and get that food, even though the mouse was present. Oh my gosh. Interesting, right? That is. Litter they were responsible for, they wouldn't. They were just Mm -hmm. not risking that one. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, Another thing that, so there's emotional intelligence, courage, efficiency, and productivity, the same, mm-hmm. the same sort of researchers did some work around mice and efficiency and productivity. And they found that mice who are responsible for raising at least one litter are up to five times more efficient at catching prey. Hmm. And, you know, that's, what, you know, ask a working mom to get something done and like, right. It's like right. your capacity to focus. And, and then the, the fourth one would be purpose. So that's so interesting, Terry, mm-hmm. that you talk about how this, what you've discovered in your work with moms that lead mm-hmm. is that moms in particular have this enhanced sense of purpose, mm-hmm. something that they can contribute to the world. So, you know, that consistently came across where it was, if I'm going to leave my child behind to go do something out in the world, that mm-hmm. thing I do out in the world had better matter. Mm-hmm. I'm leaving behind something that matters to me quite a bit. Right. And when I come back to that thing, which is my child, I want to feel really good about who I am and what I've done while I've been away. And then the fifth one was the capacity to collaborate. Okay. And that's where the neuroscience and the evolutionary biology is really strong. And I would say that that's possibly more than anything else, the skill that parenthood unlocks. Mm -hmm. And and that's where all the, and so I shared this with Janet, these five things. And she basically like dropped her fork on her plate. We were having lunch, dropped her fork on her plate and was like, oh my God, Amy, we spend more money than I care to admit training our leaders to develop those skills. And mm-hmm. you're telling me that parenthood, possibly more than anything else, naturally unlocks them if a parent gets the support they need. And I said, yes. And she, she was like, oh my God, Amy, like those are the skills that are needed in the modern workplace right mm-hmm. there. Those are the career critical skills. And when she said that, it felt like sort of had like light bulbs go off all around mm-hmm. my head. I was like, oh my God. Wow. Right. Like, yes. And there's all this great research around, you know, as artificial intelligence comes online as the rapid pace at which technology develops, you know, the jobs that will be needed in the future available in the future are the ones that are uniquely suited for humans. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so I interviewed tons of parents and I talk about this a lot in my book in all the different fields, like, you know, and, and all companies are becoming technology companies and law, for instance, you know, technology is is disrupting every industry and Mm -hmm. roles that will be filled the roles that will be available will be those that uniquely humans can fill. And, and so all of these five capacities, which I think parenthood more than anything else enhances our capacity to be human mm-hmm. and to be compassionate and to be empathetic and to be able to work well with others. 
Mm-hmm. And, and, and I think another sort of critical thing around that, and this is where I think moms really struggle, and I was a stay-at-home mom for two years, and I really struggled with this, is a critical part of being able to be a compassionate, empathetic, effective human in the world is also having a strong sense of self. Mm-hmm. And in our culture, we do not recognize or value care certainly caregiving from a mom to a child. And so it's really hard to have a strong sense of self when the whole world around you doesn't recognize or value the work that you're doing. And Mm -hmm. it was the hardest job I've ever had was being a stay-at-home mom. I would work, you know, I mean, you know, it's never, you're never off. Right. (laughs) You, 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 you lose so much of yourself. I did. Mm -hmm. And and I would have other really accomplished professional women who were friends who would sort of call me up and be like, what do you do all day long? Like, and I couldn't tell them. I knew I was exhausted. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I knew I barely brushed my teeth, but I couldn't tell them what I'd done all day long. And it, it, it felt for me when I was a stay-at-home mom towards the end, I started to feel as though I didn't even exist. Like mm-hmm. I, was, I was a role, I was a function that I performed, but I wasn't a human that had my own identity. And in large part, I think that's because we don't value or recognize the very real labor that mm-hmm. is children or caretaking more broadly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I'm assuming that is definitely, you know, one of the pieces of the movement to, to change that just the perception and value that we as a culture place on caregiving. You also mentioned, you know, throughout this conversation that you only see these benefits if you have the support that you need, particularly during the time right after a child is born. So I guess I have two questions. In order to get this benefit, all these benefits that you're mentioning to develop these leadership skills naturally, what needs to be in place for the parents? And then maybe on the flip side of that, are there particular actions that the parents need to take themselves or a particular mindset that they need to have in order to reap the benefits of taking these skills that they're developing. Like you said, the dad noticing his baby touching her ear when she was tired, you know, how does, do they need to do something to then translate that emotional intelligence into the work environment and become a better leader there? Yeah, it's such a great question. And I have a million different ways I can answer that. One thing would be, So for any parent who's listening to this show, I would invite you to think back to a moment where you were really brought to your knees in your parenting journey. You just like, you just got cracked open. And I discovered in my interviews that every parent has them. And I wouldn't even say one, but has them. You know, the time where the kid says the thing or does the thing, or you say or do the thing in reaction to the kid that just breaks you down and makes you feel like the worst human you've ever been or the worst human on the planet. There's everybody has those. And I would invite you to think back to that moment. And if my work does anything, it would be to reframe that moment as an incredible gift Mm. because it is harder to be a working parent in the U S than in any other developed nation in the world. So the stress that we experience is very real and most of it is not our fault. Mm -hmm. But that being said, a diamond cracks along the fault lines. Mm -hmm. And so under an extreme amount of stress, which many of us are during COVID, where we are going to crack is where we were already weak and in need of tending. Hmm. We can use those moments and reframe them as an opportunity to look at where inside ourselves we still have work to do, where we still need to grow and evolve. And then we resource ourselves 
to do the work necessary to tend to the wounded, broken, angry, bitter, sort of, you know, sore parts within us Mm -hmm. so that we can become better versions of who we were before, then we can begin to unlock these capacities. Yeah. So that's the forging experience that you were talking about. Right. Right. And go back like the worst who, you know, I don't know about you, but I am the worst human (laughs) (laughs) or my sense of myself is, you know, I will, I will come off an incredible professional accomplishment and then I'll come home and something will happen with one of my kids and I'll just be fried. And I will just either in my head or, or out loud say, or do the thing that I'm like, I can't believe I just did that. (laughs) It's like, really? Oh my God. Or I remember, you know, certainly during COVID, And I know everybody has these, but there have been moments where, you know, last week I was getting ready. I had a really important, I was going to be filmed for this upcoming series that I was, you know, it was like the most important thing for my week. And I was trying to take a shower (laughs) and my kids kept coming in and needing something. I was alone with the kids for the day. Kids kept coming in and needing something the fire alarm went off because they kept opening the door to the shower and the steam let off the fire alarm. And then the internet went out. And then my, I mean, it was just like, I could, I I mean, I ended up showing up for the video interview with like a wet head of hair looking like a drowned rat. (laughs) (laughs) And then they came in and they were, I mean, I just, I, and I just had this moment of like, "Ah," you know, and so I'm on video and my kids come in and I just was like, what do you want? And I'm on video talking about how parenthood makes us better people. And I'm I, don't, I was like, right, right. I mean, it's just so real right now, you know, and like yeah. the, the, you know, I think the level of extreme stress that we're under right now, especially now during COVID, it's not our fault, mm-hmm. but it is a gift mm-hmm. because we can recognize that we need to value ourselves and that we need to value the places within us that are in need of greater care and tending. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And And I think the bigger thing too, and this is where I'm so lit up about the work that I'm doing, which speaks to the movement more broadly, is that we are stronger together than we are alone. And if Mm -hmm. we can recognize that there are others who are also forging themselves through these same challenges, and that in the process of forging themselves through these challenges, they're committing to making a better future Mm -hmm. for other working parents. One of the things I write about in my book is that 20 years ago, I came home from the Peace Corps with post-traumatic stress disorder. And I later learned that the PR Omidyar, he has an organization called the Hope Lab. And one of my girlfriends worked there for many years and she traveled around the world studying what it is that allows people to be resilient in the wake of trauma. And she found that there's three main things. One is that you, you have a sense of connection. You know, you're not alone. You feel seen and heard by at least one other person. And the second one is a sense of agency that you have some control over your life mm-hmm. and the choices you make and the actions you engage in. And then the third one is a sense of purpose that you know you can contribute to something better than yourself. Mm-hmm. And I think we're at a time in history where a lot of parents are really struggling and the antidote to that struggling, the way to become resilient in the face of the challenges that we're encountering is to, to go through that journey. Know you're not alone. Take some agency and control over your own life, whatever you can do, and then play your part in building a better future. Mm-hmm. You will become a better person, just like you know, Terry, with the incredible work you do. When you show up to tend to a bigger story than your own, you become a bigger, better version of the person that you were before. Definitely. And when you have a bunch of people doing that together, 
like right. you said, being better together than we are apart. Right. And so the whole goal of what I'm doing in my life with the book, with, with my business is making visible that there are people out there doing this work. Mm-hmm. You can see them, then you can be them, right? Recognize how it is that you can show up and everybody's going to have their own way to show up in this, in this story of our time. You know, maybe you're, I'm doing a, a series online for, for LinkedIn featuring different leaders. And the one that's mm-hmm. going to come out this week is featuring all it's, it's a uh, women making history by changing the game for working parents. Cause it's women's mm-hmm. history. Mm-hmm. So the piece that's going to come out in the next day or two is about these three women who started the parenting groups inside their companies and what they were able to accomplish and how they were able to build coalitions to drive really meaningful change within their organizations and, and how, how that matters and how mm-hmm. the women didn't know each other before I started writing about them. And I'm going to post them online and other parents will read their stories and get inspired to do the same. That's beautiful. I'm excited to see that series come out and we'll make sure that that and all your work, of course, is is linked in the show notes. So it's easy for people to find. And I think that speaks a lot to the support you were talking that we need. If you have a mom who is a leader and she hasn't realized that she's developed these skills as part of being a parent or a woman that's about to become a mom and wants to develop these skills as part of becoming a parent. Is there any advice that you would give other than just being grateful for those experiences where, like I've heard you said, you're broken down to pieces, but then you get to choose which piece you put back together when you're reshaping yourself? Yeah. Yeah. I do actually have a very concrete piece of advice there, which is that I remember when I was a stay-at-home mom for a little over two years, that I found a circle of other mom friends and we were also blown away by how hard it was to be a stay-at-home mom because none of us had ever, I mean, we all, I mean, I remember growing up and being like, oh, you, you know, you watch soap operas and you eat bonbons, right? <laughs> and I would be the parent who would like, you know, show up late without the diaper bag, without having washed my hair. You know, I mean, it was like mm-hmm. so hard. I was just trying to function. And anyway, so I remember that in our groups, we would sit around and we would, we would just be pissed. Mm-hmm. We would pissed. And I think there's certainly a place for that. But at, after two years of that, I don't think that serves, right? Mm-hmm. So there's a point where it's, you have to acknowledge that that you aren't valued or recognized by the world and, and, the, and that that's a very real thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and a place for that is good. But I don't think it's helpful to spend too much time in that space. Like mm-hmm. acknowledge it, recognize it, and then do your part in changing it. So mm-hmm. what I would say is be really careful about who you spend your time around because mm-hmm. it matters. The people mm-hmm. who make up your community, make up who you are. And mm-hmm. so be very conscious about who you choose to be around and and what influences you bring into your life. Great piece of advice, definitely. Well, I know we're about out of time, but we have a question that we ask all of our guests. So I'd love to hear your perspective on it. What does it mean to you to be a mom who leads? Oh, I love that question. Yeah, I would say that for me, that at this point in my life, the real core of my work is to give value to the maternal part that lives in all of us, regardless mm-hmm. of our gender, that we all have that nurturing capacity. And it is deeply devalued in our culture today. And it's a critical part of what we need as individuals. Mm-hmm need as families, what we need as communities, and what we need as a global society 
if we're gonna make it through this moment in history with all the challenges we're facing, like we have got to learn to value those of us and within us that nurturing capacity. We have mm-hmm. got to learn to value, to care for ourselves, for each other and for our world. It's critical. And so my mm-hmm. life, when I think about what I'm about right now, as some, a woman who leads, it's by leading with a deep value and, and hopefully an embodiment of what it means to be a nurturer. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. And we've kind of touched a little bit on your book so far and on the tending movement. Didn't talk a whole lot about Ten Lab, but where can people learn more about everything that you have going on? Yeah. So you can learn about the book and the the my book is on amyhenderson.org, A-M-Y-H-E-N-D-E-R-S-O-N.org. And you can learn about the book. And amyhenderson.org is also where we're going to be profiling the individual leaders, mm-hmm. such as these three moms that I mentioned who started the parents group inside their companies. We're going to be featuring a lot of individual leaders. We're going to be asking people to nominate other leaders that they know, moms and dads and, and people of all genders, regardless of whether they have kids who are playing a part in changing the game for working parents. So mm-hmm. amyhenderson.org is where we're going to make visible the individuals okay. who are changing the game for working parents so that everyone can get inspired and see, hopefully see something that speaks to them or sparks them in their own journey. Tendlab.com, mm-hmm. which is my business, is where we're working to do that with organizations and institutions. Mm-hmm. So right now with Tendlab, we just we're on we're working on a partnership with Times Up which is, you know, really powerful advocacy organization around gender equality. We're working with them on a guide for employers to create some best practices around supporting employees who have caregiving responsibilities. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So we're looking to, you know, build a movement with organizations and institutions through TendLab, you know, researchers and nonprofits and, and, you know, policy. We're working on the political side too. And then amyhenderson.org is the individuals who are, getting ignited to take a role in what could be smaller ways than, you know, leading an institution mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But matter and are critical to the change that we all need. Right. Right. Both so important from the organization perspective, like you talked about, you know, this, the skills that parenthood teaches are the ones that we're going to need to succeed in the economy. So that makes nothing but sense to focus on supporting that growth and supporting parents in the time when that growth can happen. Yes. Well, Amy, it has been a pleasure spending this time with you. And I'm fascinated by the research that you brought forth and the work that you're doing. And I cannot wait to read Tending when it does come out. And do you have a release date on that, by the way? Well, it's a little bit tricky. I guess the the distribution has been impacted somehow by COVID and sort of okay. the whole schedule is a little bit, but we're looking at end April. The okay. um, physical book will be out. So you can get a hard copy at end mm-hmm. April. And I think the ebook, we're going to release that a little sooner. Okay. Wonderful. We'll keep you updated if you sign up on the site. Excellent. Well, hopefully we'll get a chance to connect again in the future. I'd love to stay in touch about the work that you're doing and that. Thank you again for being part of the Moms That Lead podcast today. It's been great to be here. And hopefully you bring your great work to the Bay Area where I live, because I'd love to be part of it. (laughs) Well, thank you. We will definitely work on it. Well, hopefully you see now why I would love to take that interview and just blast it from all the rooftops. 
Wasn't it just fascinating to hear Amy's story, to learn about the work that she's doing, and to hear the research that she shared? Here are some of my key takeaways. Number one, if you feel like you're failing either at being a mom, leading at work, or at home, you are not alone. Number two, parenthood has the power to forge us in critical ways, especially when it is painful and hard. Forging experiences like this may break us down to pieces. But as Amy said, we then have the opportunity to decide what pieces we can put back together. Like she said, a diamond cracks along the fault lines. And if we pay attention, we can use those hard experiences to see where we need most tending so that we can become better. Just a side note, I think we have all been through many forging experiences over the last year. And I hope that we can take those experiences and discover ways to care for ourselves so that we can become better. And although it's not the same, I think that there are times where we can choose forging experiences like endurance racing. I know my experience training for an Ironman triathlon pushed me so beyond my pain tolerance beyond my comfort level, that in a way, that broke me down to pieces as well and made me a stronger leader when I was able to put those pieces back together. Whatever way you experience it, take advantage of those forging experiences that either we have no choice in or those that we do choose. Number three, The time around the birth of a baby offers the greatest potential for plasticity in our brains, meaning that we have great potential to learn and grow during that time, but only if we are supported in the way that we need to be. And the coolest thing is that this opportunity is available to any engaged caretaker, regardless of if they gave birth to the child or not. Number four, if you're married or have a partner in caregiving, Check to see that you're not blocking them from being an active caretaker of your kids. Like Amy shared in her story about her and her husband and how they changed that with her daughter Grace. The fact is you may be depriving them of more than the joy of stinky diapers. You may be depriving them of their best chance to accelerate their human development and grow special bonds with your kids. And number five, and perhaps my favorite, research shows that parenthood naturally unlocks the skills of emotional intelligence, courage, efficiency and productivity, a sense of purpose, and the ability to collaborate. Exactly the leadership skills that are needed in our future economy. Well, again, I hope you enjoyed this as much as I did. Please share it with a friend. And let's give the act of nurturing another the respect that it deserves. Let's support each other and be there for each other as we all experience the challenges of being parents and leading in our homes, in our communities, and our workplaces. As Amy said, we are better together. And as always, until next time, lead with love.